What's going on, y'all? It's your boy, Cool Colas here, and you are now tuning into a new episode of the Pro Black Blurred Kingdom Podcast. So we finally made it, family. This is episode 50 of season one of the Pro Black Blurred Kingdom Podcast. This will be the final episode of the season, if you didn't know already, because I've been saying it not only in other episodes, but I've also been saying it on social media. So, chances are you already know. Now, on today's episode, what I want to discuss and I want to do is I want to kind of do somewhat of a little recap of everything that we've been talking about and going through this entire year. And then I also want to kind of go into some Q&As because that's what this whole episode is going to be about. Some questions and answers. What I've done on Instagram specifically is I polled people and I asked people to send me questions so that I can answer them on this podcast episode and dedicate the entire episode to trying to give thorough answers to the questions that were given to me. So before I get started, I just want to talk a little bit about my podcasting journey and everything that I've done thus far, you know, with this podcast. I had a lot of different ideas going into podcasting, but Ultimately, I think that um, my brand and everything that I've been creating is kind of coming full circle. And so with the Pro Black Blurred Kingdom podcast, I really was able to do something a little bit different than what I've seen. I really took the world of pro-blackness and black empowerment, and I took this world of blurred endeavors in the blurred space, and I mashed them and combined them into one. Sometimes we get really pro-black. Sometimes we get very blurdy. Sometimes we get both at the same time. You know, there's a lot of different things that I was able to talk about and discuss with you all on this podcast. And after 50 episodes, I'm glad to say that I really enjoyed actually doing this because this is my first experience with doing like a full-fledged podcast. And I think that it's definitely something that, you know, that can be informative to others, entertaining to some, but ultimately allows me also to get my voice out there and for people to understand the way that I see things and think about things and, you know, give my perspective and analysis on things as well, too. So I think that was really good. You know, we've covered a lot of things. We've, you know, we've talked again, we've talked about, you know, different movies and TV shows that are black centric. We've talked about issues in the media. We've talked about pro-blackness and we've talked about topics all around that and there was a lot a lot a lot a lot of roasting as well too i've had all these like really funny names for people you know i had the i think what are some of the names that i came up with i had fairy thug and by the way speaking of fairy thug, i would just want to say this god i didn't even get to tell y'all because um you know the episode where i actually talked about fairy thug and and everything like that i didn't really have an update for you on what happened but after i made that podcast episode about i think it was the lgbt agenda that is so apparently fairy thug actually watched the entire episode and what's funny about that was this was shortly after him and i kind of had that back and forth on instagram and 
he said that what I was what I had said about the LGBT agenda was dumb and he said well I watch what you did for entertainment but it's all love though and so I thought that was stupid as fuck at that time because I'm like nigga like if you don't rock with somebody or you think that what they're doing is dumb is it not dumb to then go back and look at their content well, this is what this Negro did. He actually listened to the entire podcast episode, like the LGBT agenda episode. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that I didn't even get to roasting on that one until actually the end of the podcast episode or somewhere towards the middle or end. So that means that he listened to a whole damn hour of me saying what I needed to say before he listened to the roast. So to me, <laughs> the way I see it, you're not a hater. You're a fan. That nigga is a fan because why else would you do that? The other thing that I found funny is after that episode two, I don't know if I told y'all this, but dude decided to, I don't know if he was mad or whatever, but he tagged me in like nine posts. So I guess that was his way of trying to call me out after, um, you know, the, the podcast episode that I made. I ain't, I'm going to be honest with you. I ain't listen to none of that shit. <laughs> I just saw that I had nine messages and then I just deleted that whole thread and didn't even pay it any mind because I really didn't give a fuck what he had to say. I said what I said. And I think the dude had like unfollow me, had did that force unfollow where you mutually unfollow each other. He unfollowed me. I unfollow him. But anyway, I just wanted to say that like after that, this dude literally tagged me in nine posts where he talked about I guess he talked about what I had said about him on the podcast episode because I'm assuming that that will be the only reason why he did that rant and again tagged me in nine posts so I'm looking I'm like nine messages why the fuck this nigga hit me up nine damn times like that's some weird shit this is why you're getting the name fairy thug buddy but anyway so yeah so I had fairy thug that was a name I talked about horny and corny I talked about Big Sassy, you know, I talked about um, Cruz. Speaking of Scary Cruz, I just wanted to say something about this Negro. So, very, very recently, I had a post, right, on Instagram. It was a reel, actually. And so, this nigga thought it would be a good idea to troll again on a, on a new post that I had. So he, he did something on a, on a previous one as well too, but I won't even talk about that because the post that he did, he had actually said something on It's ironic because it was right before I had released the episode where I actually roasted him, but he actually said something on a new post that I had, uh, and I haven't had a chance to actually respond back to it yet, but I actually kind of laughed to myself. So the reel that I had was about, the three types of haters that I typically get on my platform. And so the three types of haters that I get are the potential white supremacist, the off code or sellout Negro and the solution Sambo. So I guess this dude took offense to something I said there and he decided to comment. I want to read this to y'all real quick so you can kind of hear what homie had to say. So, first of all, he posted the judgment face. Like, you know that face that you post where you're looking at somebody like, for real, for real, nigga. So, he, so he, said, he then said, you call anyone who disagrees with you a hater, though, which is not true. Don't seem to want healthy debate and your topics are heavily based on your perspective slash interest. Very nice interest that don't actually affect the black community. Not much objectivity. 
Very pro-black, but I don't see how you're helping a single soul with your content. It's too based on problems without ever clearly stating a solution. So they come off as intellectual rants. Okay. (sighs) Family, that was way too easy. Y'all know that shit was way too easy. And I just had to say, too, this nigga is over here talking about some damn, you don't like to have healthy debates. Wasn't this the same dude a while ago who said that he doesn't like to hear a whole bunch of dissertations because he thought that I sent him a whole paragraph just for a disagreement? (laughs) I mean, let's be real. In order to actually have a healthy debate with someone, You have to actually be on the same page about what you guys are debating about. This dude doesn't even make sense most of the time when he even comes on there and makes the points that he makes. So how can I have a debate with somebody who doesn't even have a standing yet? I mean, what you're saying is just not even sensical. Like, we're not even in the same realm of thinking. So this dude is sitting there talking about some, oh, you won't even have a healthy debate, dog. I literally asked you a bunch of questions to clarify your disagreements. And you said, I don't have the time or the energy to entertain a dissertation. So now you're going from being a muscle head, steroid taking moron to a hypocrite. Wow. Okay. Anyway. All right, dude. All right. A couple episodes ago, what did I tell you a solution Sambo was? I told you that a solution Sambo was an individual who comes onto your platform to badger you randomly about solutions when they don't even know what the problem is to begin with themselves. So the only thing that they do is say all that to cause chaos. A real person seeking solutions isn't worried about how someone else is not being productive. They're doing their own thing. And they're trying to find their own way in in their own way. So this man just exposed how he was exactly what I was talking about when I said the thing about solution sambos. And how many times have I told you guys this? When it comes to jobs, careers and everything related. Everybody has a purpose in what they do, including the journalist. What I am as a writer and ultimately what I am doing is informing the community about how to stay on code, how things show up and how to critically think and ultimately discern. Not only that too, I don't know how many times I have to tell niggas full divestment is the solution. So at this point, if this dude is watching my stuff as much as he's projecting at this point chances are he probably already knows that I've already presented this solution on many occasions and he probably already knows that I've said I'm working on my own comic brand as well too but in the meantime I'm trying to educate people so that they don't become sambos like that sambo that is who you all do not want to be family You do not want to be a Sambo who looks like a mutated version of Bobby Lashley from WWE. 
this nigga over here looking like a motherfucking starving Ethiopian <laughs> or steroids and shit. You just, you do not want to be that person, all right? Because in that statement, too, another thing I noticed, too, is this Negro told a lot of damn lies. I never actually said that I call everyone who disagrees with me a hater. I've never done that. That's that's not true. As a matter of fact, in that very post, I said it's okay to have a healthy disagreement. I don't care for people who come to troll for the sakes of causing chaos. I've made that very clear. There's people I like very much and respect very much who I absolutely don't agree with and have disagreed with me on some of my posts. And I respect them very much. I just don't like the random trolling and the, like, just the random whatever chaos that you decide to bring to my post for no reason. Also, too, the idea that my topics are heavily based on my perspective. Um, yeah, they are heavily based on my perspective, just like everybody else's posts are. Like, duh, nigga. Like, what? And, and then the nigga, like, like low-key gave a comment. He's like, oh, but very pro-black. Yeah, nigga, that's the point of it. He's like, you're, you know, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a niche, you know, it's a, it's a very niche interest, but, you know, very pro-black. Yeah, motherfucker, that's what the fuck the shit is for. Like, what? Man, them steroids is going to that nigga head. What the fuck? <laughs> I need that nigga to take a steroid break or some shit. What the fuck? <laughs> Just saying anything. Arnold Schwartz a nigga in this bitch <laughs> this nigga is over here looking like a black ninja turtle on steroids and shit anyway anyway let, let me stop let me stop because I got a lot of shit I gotta talk about with y'all real quick so let's get into these questions here family because I don't know who wants their name said and who, or stated, and who wants me to just keep their name anonymous? I'm just gonna keep everybody's name anonymous. And what I'll do is I'll send this episode to everybody who did send me a question, just so they know that I acknowledge what they had said and whatnot. So the first question that I got here is, what's something that you expect from DC in the next five years? And mind you, I wanted to say this too before I answer this question. I am taking all these questions from the dome, so excuse me if I sound long-winded on some of these questions because I, again, am just thinking about the answers to these off the top of my head as if I did not have a chance to prepare. So what's something that I expect from DC in the next five years? I expect to see more DCEU TV shows. There's a possibility of maybe us having a Hawkman TV show. I think that would be pretty cool. It's hard to say what's going to happen with these movies because I've been seeing a lot of random shit that's been kind of going on. In my personal opinion, it looks like a lot of the things that have been created within the last, like, decade or so are kind of coming to a close. And what I mean by decade or so, I'm thinking about, like, the Arrowverse and the DCEU. It looks like it's either coming to a close or it's just a dumpster fire. I would expect to see more DCEU TV shows or I would see just a total, 
either an Arrowverse 2.0 or something totally new. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say a Hawkman TV show would be one thing I'd be expecting to see. Another thing I'd expect to see maybe is a either a new universe being built, whether it's in the movies or in the TV shows, I really can't tell. Um, as far as like the types of series that I would hope to see, I think there's a lot of different black characters that they could create stories based off of. And obviously I don't expect them to do this because of how DC, how all these major comic companies are, but you know, the, the types of black shows I would love to see would be like, I would love to see a Bumblebee show or movie. I would love to see a Nubia show or movie. I would love to see Bloodwind as a show or movie. Icon, I would love to see him as a show or movie. Hotspot would be cool. The Crimson Avenger, that would be a cool one. You know, I, I could keep going. There's a lot of them that are really cool, but yeah, that's what I would expect. Second question Who gave you the idea to start a podcast? That's a great question. The truth is, is that I don't believe that anybody really gave me the idea to start a podcast. I just remember asking a question on Facebook back in, I think it was 2017, when I was trying to find my way with kind of figuring out what I wanted to do hustle-wise and brand-wise and all this other stuff. And I remember asking folks, what do y'all think? What would y'all like to see for me? Would you all like to see me do a podcast? Would you like to see me do YouTube videos? Like, what should I do? And I had a lot of people say, you know, you should do a podcast. I would listen, yada, 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 yada. I had a couple of different people chime in and say that kind of, you know, at similar times. So it was kind of hard to see who said it first. But the point I'm trying to make is that I polled people on Facebook in 2017 and a lot of people said that, you know, it would be cool to see me do a podcast. And at the time, I didn't know what I was going to talk about or anything like that, but I just knew that I had a lot of different perspectives. I had a lot of knowledge on things and I have a good way, I think, of articulating what it is that I'm trying to convey in a way of, and I have a way of breaking it down where it's, you know, understandable to pretty much anyone. So, like I said, I, I would say that I didn't really get the idea from anybody. I kind of just thought about doing it on my own because I saw a lot of people doing podcasts and kind of making it their own thing. And I thought, hey, maybe I can make a podcast and, you know, make it my own thing as well. So that that's that. Question number three, what's something that you want from a black candidate? What do you want to receive? This is a great question. And I think when they say black candidate, I think they're talking about like a politician or like whether it's somebody who's a president or whether it's any type of politician that I would want to support. To be honest, it's very simple when it comes to what a black candidate should be about. A black candidate, first of all, if we're talking about like actually legitimately supporting a black candidate from the grassroots, should have a pro-black mentality. And what I mean by pro-black, as I've said before, is with the intention of serving black first and black only until certain needs are met. So in other words, blacks are going to come first and 
if as long as blacks needs are met, then we can talk about other things. Now, obviously, if you're a political candidate, you know, you're going to have to throw in other stuff as well, too, because, you know, you got to get other people to vote for you for certain reasons. But I think that that black candidate would need to put black people first. And the simplest way to put black people first in this case or in this context would be reparations. You should be running a reparations campaign no matter what. You should be seeking for, and from my perspective, cash payment reparations. That's the first thing. The second thing you need to be doing is advocating for laws, tangible laws that can be made to protect black people from being harmed by race soldiers or just being attacked by anybody who wants to aid the white supremacist or wants to aid in white supremacy. So, in other words, what I'm basically saying is I think that reparations is the most crucial thing at this point. How can we get cash in black hands, black American hands? How can we get black Americans land? Now, cash is a must. Land can come with it and all this other bullshit can come up with it, too. But cash payments is the main thing that I'd be looking for. The second thing I'd be looking for again are like laws and tangibles, tangible laws that protect black people from being killed, lynched, and all this other stuff specifically. So to sum all it up, package it up and make it look pretty, what I'm basically saying is, is that we need real tangibles in real time for black people. If you are a black candidate and you are not doing that, I do not support you. I don't care if you are Republican. I don't care if you are a Democrat. I don't care if you're green. I don't care if you're a libertarian. I don't care if you're something else that I don't know about. If you are not creating tangibles for black people, then I don't want to hear shit about you. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to talk shit about you, to be honest with you. So, yeah, that, that's what I want to receive. I would like to receive reparations and I would like to have laws that are passed for our people to be able to function without being harmed just for existing. Like it's just a thing that just needs to happen. And I'm going to be I'm going to take this one a step further too. any candidate period that supports what I just said is probably going to get my vote because that's what the political process is all about. It's all about using voting as a vehicle to be able to achieve the things that you're looking for. So again, if the main focus is not about reparations and other tangibles for blacks, then we ain't got shit to talk about. Number four, what causes a person to, and I think this person put emphasize, but I think what they meant to put was empathize like empathy. What causes a person to empathize with another who is totally unreceptive to it? That's an interesting question. And it's something I need to kind of take a second to think about. I think that it really kind of just depends on the person and it depends on their mentality and what, and who they are. People who typically are empaths attract people who are leeches quite a bit. That that's that's what I've seen. And sometimes it's from naivete. Sometimes it's because they have big hearts and sometimes they don't really have like the best of boundaries when it comes to helping people who are leeches, you know. I would say that what causes a person to empathize with 
another person is this idea that they have this emotional understanding of what someone is going through like they can kind of like feel their pain to a certain extent and it doesn't even matter if the person is not receptive it's more about only imagining what that person could be going through because of like how it makes you feel just by being around them and absorbing that energy i guess that's what it really comes from but as far as like you know empathizing with somebody who is not receptive to it i think some people are just kind people who want to see the best in others even if they feel like they're not really getting anything from that person you know it's just the idea that they can really help someone i think that that's really what it's about some people are geared to you know care about people even if people spit on them some people are like i'm not a turn the other cheek type of person i'm a i'll fight back and i'll say fuck you if you fuck me you know, at the end of the day, I think that what causes a person to empathize is, you know, sometimes it's experience. Sometimes it's just a natural thing. It's just who you are. You know, the other thing, too, with this whole empathy thing is by nature, a lot of us as black people are naturally forgiving and just emotionally understanding of others. That's just, you know, kind of in our nature. And too many of us have been indoctrinated from my perspective by the white supremacists, because a lot of times they push this narrative that blacks need to be civil and blacks need to turn the other cheek in the face of when there is some type of conflict or a certain fight or, or a certain struggle that's going on we have to turn the other cheek we have to be able to you know empathize with others i mean think about the idea that black people are still empathizing with trying to be be friends with whatever that means be cordial with and even like understand to a certain extent the white supremacists despite all the things that have happened to our people in slavery and in other situations like that like going forward and everything that's happened as a result of slavery we still despite the fact that we've been spit on so many times our people are still trying to find a way to come together with white folks in a way where we have harmony the bottom line is that it's always been in the nature of black folks to be forgiving and to really be understanding from an emotional standpoint because we've been through so much that we try to empathize with the people who have hurt us and the white supremacist has been a big proponent in saying you know you should forgive you know you should be able to understand what somebody else is going through yada 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 that's like been a big thing with them and they've been you know telling our people that that's what we really need to do i think it's ingrained in a lot of us and that's why you see a lot of these coons who try to take up for the white supremacists and a good example of that is when you see like the stephen a smiths of the world and he's trying to empathize with the fact that jerry jones was a 14 year old boy when he was participating in a racist act that didn't allow black folks to be able to go to school during this time of segregation and all this other stuff but he's sympathizing with jerry jones and saying well you know how would you all feel if you know you were a 14 year old 
kid and someone judged you for what you did so you know there there's that type of mentality you know that comes with it too so sometimes i think this whole empathizing with people thing comes from my perspective having a coon spirit yourself i'm not saying that in every case but i think with a lot of black people especially when you take up for like white folks who do certain things or even in times when you take up for like some of these coons who do ridiculous things i think it it shows that there's somewhat of a coon spirit within you i think it really just kind of depends number five who do you want to be the live action john stewart or green lantern I made a post or a reel actually about this and I named quite a bit of people or quite a bit of people being five people, if I'm being honest, who I thought would be good candidates for a Jon Stewart role, whether it's in a movie and whether it's in a TV show. And I think the ones that I came up with were Sterling K. Brown, Trevante Rhodes, Nate Parker, Lance Gross and John David Washington. And I would say out of all the people who I just named, I probably would go with somebody like a Sterling K. Brown. The reason why is because Green Lantern kind of reminds me of a guy who might be somewhere in his like mid 30s. You know, he might be a brown to darker skinned brother. And, you know, he is somebody who is physically fit and somebody who is in shape. And Sterling K. Brown, if you look at him, probably looks like he could probably be in his maybe like late 30s at the youngest and the oldest probably mid 40s so I would probably say Sterling K Brown for that reason because like he just has a lot of those qualities and he's also had experience with being a in a superhero type of movie with him being in Black Panther and he also has the seriousness too I think I think he would body that pretty well number six how do you handle backlash <laughs> backlash it's funny so it really just depends most of the time whenever I'm presented with conflict like heavy criticism or something like that I would say that the first thing that I do is I step back and I think about what was being said to me. And the first thing I start doing is I start asking questions. And I would ask them, what made you come to that conclusion? What made you feel this way? Yada, 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 yada. reason why I say that is because all conversation, the main goal should be to have some type of constructiveness. And from my perspective, I think that whenever you get backlash it's usually because somebody disagrees with something you did or felt like negatively impacted so typically unless it's like trolling or unless it's just some bullshit i probably would ask ask some questions and try to figure out how we got to this place so I at least can see if maybe there is some common ground and if there's not then it is what it is and i kind of just move forward if it's a thing where someone is trolling though and all that best believe that i'm probably going to just roast the hell out of them by the time i get to this podcast <laughs> so yeah it really to be honest with you when it comes to backlash if it's trolling it really just becomes content i don't even really see it as a negative anymore i see it as a thing where it's like well that could help me because now i can just go on this podcast roast their ass and guess what that's content for the day
Number seven, summarize the highs and lows of 2022 blurred culture. That is such a broad question. It's a good question, but it's broad. Like there's so much to think about and talk about and kind of dig up with this one. So I'll try to make it as brief as possible, but it's gonna, I mean, this it's a lot to think about. Highs, I would say probably are Black Adam and what felt like a DCE, DCEU comeback. Another thing that I would say is positive or would be a high is was um i'm trying to think was peacemaker 2022 yes peacemaker as a tv show but again that's dceu that was a i think that was a high point personally yeah i I can't really think of very much to be honest with you as far as high points because in the blurred space i've been seeing a lot of like craziness so i would definitely say like what the seeming yeah, the the seemingly like noticeable comeback of D of the DCEU movies was a high point. The Black Adam movie I thought was a high point, even if other people didn't really think that. There are a lot of low points though, to be honest with you. I mean, She Hawk was a super low point in my opinion. I feel like Black Panther: Wakanda Forever was a disappointment. I would call that a low point from my perspective. There were too many tropes and the story was just whack and it was something that we had been anticipating for so long and we were hoping that was done right and was not done very right. So I would say that was low as well too. It feels like we're scraping the barrel with the MCU and the movies. It feels like kind of like afterthoughts with a lot of like what they've come out with. Morbius was a low point. I mean, I don't know. I could just really just keep going to be honest with you. So, yeah, that's what I would say. A lot of the things that Marvel did were low points. A few of the things that DC did were actually high points. Eight. Why do you think it's so hard for black people not to support media that undermines us? That's a great question. I would say that, and I think that the example that this person said was Marvel, I think it's one because they're so used to only having like these big comic companies to kind of look at and to always be advertised over and over again. And when you advertise things, a lot of times you gravitate to the things that you see over and over again and are are, like shown to you in repetition. So Marvel and DC are the ones or the movies and TV shows like all of them are shown to you on the regular basis. So I think people gravitate to them and kind of have this expectation that they are going to put out everything that they as fans will consume and they're going to do in the way that they want to see it. So that's why I said I think that it's it's because, first of all, it's marketed in that way. The second reason why is because I think that there is this internal white supremacist worship that kind of comes with being black and not really looking at kind of like the effects of what slavery and racism, Jim Crow and all these other things have done to our people. I think by not looking at those things, we're more prone to want to like 
just take things at face value. We don't try to look deeper in. We don't try to look at tropes and messages and other things like that. We just are basically desperate and want to, you know, be represented in any way that we can see ourselves on screen, any way that we can see ourselves on TV, any way that we can see ourselves in movies. So ultimately, I think that another part of it is, is that there's like this low-key white supremacist worship that we have to a certain extent because you got these white creators who are doing all these disrespectful things to our people when they tell stories and we still love them anyway so it's this low-key desire to basically be accepted by white people in a way the third thing i would say too is that they're might not be a full understanding of white supremacy in the way that it shows up things that don't seem disrespectful we take it at face value like i said i think it's a self-esteem thing to a certain extent too i think it's a thing of you know a lot of us don't want to tell our own stories we just want it to be made the way that we want to see it you know what i mean so i, I think a lot of the, i'm going to sum up everything because i feel like i'm talking about a lot of different things at this point I think the main reason why it's hard for black people not to support media that undermines us is because white supremacy has done major damage to our psyche at the end of the day. And we're holding on to that we can get that's going to make us feel whole, even if it's scraping the barrel, even if it's scraps, even if it's less than what we actually deserve. So you got two different types of people. You got the people who don't really understand white supremacy and you got the people who, d who don't want to accept that white supremacy is going on and rather attack their own than tackle the issues that are going on by the powers that be number nine what are some misconceptions people have about you or your brand that's a great question i'll start with misconceptions that people have about me i think when people first meet me they say that i am shy or quiet i've gotten that quite a bit and the truth is is that i am a little quiet when i first meet people because i'm like observing but they think that that's just my personality which is not true they think because of the fact that i initially am observant that i am just a quiet and shy person and really anybody who knows me knows i'm very talkative actually i'm a very long-winded brother to be honest with you i always have a lot of things to say and i always like to make my voice heard when i feel the need to say something that's very important so anybody who knows me knows that i can really 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 talk if i'm interested in having a conversation with whoever it is that i'm having that conversation with i'm observing at first because i want to see do i want to fuck with this person or do i not I'm like kind of reading the room and like discerning what, you know, makes sense to kind of continue to be around and what doesn't. So it's a misconception because people just assume I just don't like to talk. And it's like, no, I'm just seeing if I possibly like to talk to you. And that's really all it is. Another big misconception that I think people make about my brand, at least, is that I am an artist. And really the truth is, is that I'm a writer. I'm not really an artist. Drawing and doing that type of art is not really my thing. And I always talk about how I have like a comic brand I want to put out there. The reality is, is that I need a good and thorough artist who's going to be able to really capture a lot of the things that I've actually written 
and then me try to put that out as a comic book or as a graphic novel, whatever I decide to do with the brand that I'm trying to create or the brands that I'm actually trying to create. So I think a lot of people assume I'm going to be drawing. And so a lot of people get disappointed. And that's when you get into the whole solution Sambo thing, because a lot of them are like, oh, you just, you were just sitting there talking about different issues that are going on, but you're not providing any solutions. Blah, 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 blah. You know how my man's Triple H was and how my man's uh, Scary Cruise was. At the end of the day, the people who have come on and they've tried to do stuff like that, they weren't even concerned about whether or not I was an artist or a writer, whatever the case is. That's why they're a solution Sambo. Because anybody can look right at my bio and say and show that it clearly says that I am an author and that I am a writer. And at the end of the day, to some extent, because of the way that I report out on things, I'm somewhat of a journalist and a journalist is a job that is very effective and is very solutions oriented because it keeps people informed. That is a solution right there, because what's happening is a lot of y'all are just producing things and putting things out there. But you still have these white supremacist like mindsets out there, a lot of anti-black mindsets and you're putting out content. And my thing is, no, you got to get your mind right. That's very important to me. And that's why one of the things that I've always said, if you look at uh, some of the videos that I put out there and some of the stories that you've seen me put out, I've said stuff like, it's important to support black businesses, but it's important to support black businesses of black people who are on code. That is a very, very big thing because some of you out here are talented, very, very talented, but you are the king kings and queens of Samboism and that's a problem another misconception that people have had about me at least in the past was that I wouldn't be like pro-black or black centric because of the way that I speak and whatnot. even back before I was married and I was dating a lot of the comments that I would get especially from women were that they thought that I was into white girls and what I had to kind of like learn from that was a lot of times that was like a projection. This chick who said this was saying this because she thought that in, in some ways that I was too good for her. And that's why she made that the comment that she did. She thought I was going to be some busted up nigga who didn't know how to articulate his words and, and not. And that's the type of person who deserved a woman like her. I think also too with the fact that a lot of you all who are listening to this are meeting me at a stage where, you know, I talk a lot about pro-blackness and I state my statements firmly. They assume that I'm going to be extremely mean. I'm going to be extremely rude. I think that a lot of people have kind of gotten that as well, too, as of late. Another thing, too, I've seen, and this is just from like kind of just viewing, you know, a lot of my content as of late. One misconception that I've gotten is that because of the stuff that I talk about, specifically when I talk about like the LGBT agenda, I've gotten that, oh, you're you must be like homophobic and this and that. And it's like, no, nah, like what a lot of people don't realize is that I actually plan to have like black people who are gay you know, in some of my comics and stuff like that, because from my perspective, I think that all black people should be represented. And I've said that before. I just don't like the way that it's being portrayed in the media. Like, I feel like the white supremacists are over portraying them on purpose for their own agenda. And I stand by that. So I think a lot of people feel that I'm homophobic because I'm talking, they feel like I'm talking against gay people, but I'm not. Essentially, I'm actually speaking up for gay people because I feel like black 
people in general just deserve better than what the white supremacist is trying to do. So, yeah, that's another thing that I've gotten. As far as my brand, I think that people assume a lot of different things. I think that because a lot of our words have gotten co-opted and have gotten turned into things that, from my perspective, are not the original definition. I think that people make their own definition of what I mean when I say stuff. So, for example, words I think that have gotten co-opted are hotep, civil rights, pro-black. And the reason why I left pro-black last is because pro-black's the most important here. When I reach out to people and I go to people via message, like via the DMs, and I say, hi, my name is Kukolas, and you know, right now I'm trying to work on this pro-black blurred empire, and I, right now I'm doing that through my comics and my writing, and I also talk about a lot of different issues that are kind of going on today. I was hoping that we could follow each other. People automatically assume, a lot of people who have this misconception assume that when I say pro-black, I mean one who champions all black people. But that's not what I mean. What I mean is serving and helping black first and black only until our needs are met. And even past that point, I'm still helping black people. So from my perspective, it's it's looking at like all the issues and the things that affect our community, not necessarily just looking at what's already there and then just saying, hey, you're black. I'm just going to champion that. Sometimes there's disrespect that comes with the way that our stories are being told, especially when we are not the ones who are telling it. So I think the misconception is that when I say pro-black, that it means that I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to root for and big up all the things that are already out there when I see a lot of issues with a lot of the things that are put out there. So that's a misconception about my brand. Another misconception that I see about my brand quite a bit is that it's not solutions-based. My brand is actually very solutions-based. My brand actually is dual solutions-based, I would say, because here are the two things that my brand does. The first thing that my brand does is it teaches you and shows you the way to think about certain issues. So in other words, it's a platform for education. And the reason why I say it's a platform for education is because what I'm really teaching you at this point is anti-racism and how to look at anti-black racism specifically how to detect it how to know how it shows up not just in the media space but in other spaces i'm also teaching you discernment i'm teaching you deduction and i'm teaching you all these other things to consider and by bringing up all these different posts all these these different points and these different examples i can show you the way that a lot of the disrespect that i talk about shows up so so that's the, the first thing that i do so that is a solution because the problem here is how can I educate my people? How can I help people to see how racism and disrespect shows up? And so the solution to that is I give them examples by coming up with these posts that exemplify some of the problems and the ways that they show up in certain characters that people typically enjoy. The other thing that I do is I literally am creating an entire brand. I'm creating a comic brand, I'm creating books, and I'm eventually going to be creating board games as well too. That is a solution because I'm literally creating the things that I would like to see. So obviously that stuff is going to take time. Obviously that's not something that's going to happen overnight. But if you continue to support me and you see my vision, then you would understand. 
And that's why I said, like, it's a two-step process. The first step is you want to be able to have your mind right and your thoughts together before you actually go and you try to execute trying to do something on your own. Because what a lot of our people like to do is say, oh, we're going to tell our own stories and then you're off code as hell and you're doing the same shit the white supremacist was doing. No, I'm going to show you the proper way or the proper way to see the issues that are showing up how we should think about telling stories and then actually telling the stories. It's actually a process. You have to look at how disrespect shows up so you know what not to do. And then in your mind say, I'm not going to do that. And then when you you know, are actually creating your own product, you stick to that code of conduct. So one misconception about my brand is that, that it's not solutions-based and that's totally wrong. It's dual solutions-based, I would say. It has two big solutions. Number 10. What's behind the color choices of your brand? That's a beautiful question, too. So I have five colors that are behind my brand, and all five of these colors symbolize something very different. And interestingly enough, the five that I've chosen are actually my five favorite colors. Red symbolizes power in this instance. It symbolizes the fact that I tell things from a perspective that's very direct, that is straight to the point, very honest, very authentic. And red symbolizes power and a passion. The color black is the next color in my brand. And black symbolizes black power, black unity. This idea of, you know, celebrating who I am and my culture. As far as the color gold goes, I think about kinship. I think about royalty. The next color in my brand is periwinkle. What periwinkle for me represents is interconnection. What I've always talked about is I'm not here to change hearts and minds, but I'm here to connect with the like-minded. And so with that in mind, I think about building relationships with individuals and interconnecting with people who have a similar purpose. The last color is lavender. Lavender is a part of my brand because lavender for me represents wisdom and analysis. And it symbolizes this idea that we're looking into things from a deeper consciousness and from a deeper space and really analyzing things. So again, I want to repeat it so that everybody's very clear on what each color represents for my brand. Red is passion and power. Black is about culture and lineage. Gold is about royalty and success. Periwinkle is about connection and relationships. And lavender is about analysis and wisdom. The next question I have here is... What are some things that DC can do for the black characters in the upcoming future? I mean, stop giving damn tropes to the black characters. It's really, really that damn simple. Now, again, 
obviously I'm saying this in the context of I know these are white supremacists and I know these are individuals who don't have any intention to really tell our stories in the way that we see fit. But if I had to, if it was a perfect world and I had a choice and I had to say so and what they could and could not do, I would say just tell the black characters in a way that is respectful because you have a lot of characters that you really could put out there. I mean, think about it. You got the static shocks, you know, you got the bumblebees. You have all types of characters that you could put out there. And all that's all you got to do is put them out there and don't put no bullshit on them. Don't put no disrespectful tropes on them. The point I'm trying to make is don't put negative tropes on your characters. Release more black characters and don't put negative tropes on them. Simple as that. 12. Why do you think some people have a hard time being in a committed relationship? That's an interesting question. And it really deviates a lot from some of the things that were being asked. But I think people have a hard time being in a committed relationship because they just don't want to. I mean, I think it's really just as simple as that. I think that sometimes people aren't mentally ready for that. Some people want to be single and they want to explore their options and see what's out there. You know, they're in their experimental stage. Some people are at a point where maybe they don't want to be in a committed relationship with that individual you know it could be there's some type of honesty that's not being expressed or some type of realness that's not being expressed because maybe they got to a point where they didn't want to be in a relationship with that person and it could be that either they were showing their representative because they thought they wanted something that they don't want or maybe that person was showing their representative and they're not sure how they're feeling about this new person who they are seeing that they didn't see before so i mean like it could be a lot of different things ultimately i think it it really just boils down to they just don't want to be in one or they're just not ready to be in one what are some of the goals you plan to reach by the end of next year? I'm hoping to put two books out if I can. I'm hoping to do at least a book signing. I'm hoping to open a Patreon and get some money for like some new projects that I'm trying to do. I'm hoping to get my book my rim room book that is into the libraries and uh yeah those are the main goals that come to mind there's a couple other ones but those are the big ones that you can kind of think about for the time being why do you think some people have a hard time expressing how they feel about certain issues that's an interesting question because it's very broad. And if I remember correctly, the person who sent me this question, they said that from a standpoint of speaking about the truth, but also when it comes to almost anything as well. So when it comes to speaking the truth or speaking facts about things, this because of backlash. I mean, you got a lot of things that may happen out there by speaking your mind. You know, you could be working at a job and you get on social media and you say the wrong thing and then some nosy ass motherfucker goes back and they're like, you know, they, they go back and they do that bitch ass shit. You know, you're trying to get your paper up, you're trying to get your weight up and, you know, they're going back and they're like, you know, snitching on like the shit that you just did. So some people are afraid of the backlash like that they may get from their jobs or from people who are financing them or endowing them. Some people may not want to express themselves because they're afraid of like, you know, what other people think as well, too. 
you know, sometimes it's family members they're worried about. They follow in their family. They don't want, you know, that to cause like an uproar. Sometimes it could be a lot of different things as to why people don't express themselves about like when it comes to speaking the truth. Now, as far as expressing yourself about like when you have issues with other people, I can't speak for everybody, but I will speak for myself. One thing that I have issues with when it comes to expressing things is sometimes I have an issue with expressing when somebody has done something that is wrong or hurtful to me sometimes. And I'm going to tell you why sometimes I have an issue with it, because I was that person who used to address when I would have issues with things that people would do pretty much every time that it would happen. And what I've noticed is that for every 10 times that I would go and I would say something to somebody, I probably was blown off or someone kind of lashed out at me or somebody turned around on me. Probably out of, out of those times, probably three of those times that I probably only either get an apology or feel like I came to some type of understanding with that person out of 10 times 30 percent of the time i at least came to some resolution that i could have been okay with even if it wasn't necessarily an apology and what that told me is that i need to be very careful about who it is i'm approaching and i'm having this conversation with i need to look at do i need to let this person go or do i actually need to approach them about certain things so for me it it isn't because i have some weird fear of being able to express myself in the insecurities. It's because I don't want to waste my own time dealing with an individual who either may, one, not already know what the hell that they did, or two, they are just not somebody who I can really have a conversation with and, you know, and and try to come to some type of resolution with because they're just not on that. And so what I typically do with people is I will tell them Unless like it's something that's real serious, I typically would probably go to them at least once. And then if they keep fucking that same thing up, then I probably think about like how I'm probably just going to get rid of this fool. If it's something that if it's like the same thing and they just have a habit of doing that, because after a while, people are just going to kind of step over your boundaries that you created. And you just got to let people go if they if they do stuff like that. It's just, you know, it's not worth your time and it could become unhealthy. Now, again, every situation is different, but it really just depends. As far as people having a hard time expressing how they feel about certain issues, I think it's also too, I think we have to go back to the root cause of all this. I think a lot of people are not encouraged as well to, to express themselves, especially like black men, black men, I want to talk about black, black men, especially are not encouraged to speak up for themselves if anything, in this day and age, they're silenced and told that they can't speak, that they can't say anything, or they get criticized heavily for speaking up. And you got women who will kind of go back and they'll try to basically overtalk them and all this other stuff that's unnecessary. And a lot of times it's because of their frustrations with other men. You know, so from my perspective, I think that some black men I'm going to talk about for a second have a hard time expressing themselves because they live in a world where nobody really wants to hear their voice and hear them speak. Okay, the next question that I have here is, do you ever have guests on your podcast? I didn't for this first season but I might do it for the second season so the answer is no right now I haven't for this season but maybe I probably will for the second season number what is this question 16 
What is your earliest personal experience with racism? So a lot of people don't know this about me, but I experience, I've been experiencing racism since I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I just didn't know it was racism at the time. So the first time that I clearly could see that there was something racist that was going on was somewhere around when I was in the seventh or eighth grade. I remember specifically there was an incident where I was at school. And by the way, I just want to kind of give you all the picture here. I went to a Catholic private all boys school my seventh grade year to my 12th grade year. And at this school, you had all different types of kids. So you had black kids, you had white kids, you had Asian kids, you had all types of things, right? And so at this school, we had a lot of conservative white kids who, you know, they had, you know, basically they, they, they probably had some like racist ass parents and they ended up being racist their damn selves. And so one thing that people used to do is, and white kids used to do this, when they would hear me speak, they would hear that I have a proper dialect. And so they would try to say I wasn't really black for real, which is racist in itself because it's like, so all black people are supposed to talk in a certain way. I think that was already racist in itself because it's saying that there's a certain way that all black people should be talking, which is just not right. And so I guess when I was in seventh grade, I believe it's seventh grade, there was this kid and I was about to go sit at this lunch table and he happened to be at this lunch table that I wanted to sit at because there were some other people there who I knew because they did this weird thing at my school where they had certain lunch periods and sometimes you wouldn't see people who you knew or wanted to hang around in that lunch period because they would section it off like this group of kids would go during this lunch period and it would be between these times and then they would have another section and another section they would all be different for some reason i would never get the section where i would be in a group where my friends actually were having lunch at the same time as me so anyway so i sat at this one table that i wanted to sit at with some people who i was kind of cool with and so this little asshole motherfucker was at this table and so I remember like I had like a $10 bill in my hand and I had dropped it on the floor because I was trying to sit down and I just had too much stuff in my hand because I had my lunch tray and I had my money. And so he puts his foot on my money and I'm like, yo, man, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to take your foot off my dollar, off my $10 bill. And so I start counting and I'm like 10, 9, 8. So when I got around 7 or 6, this is what this little junior mayonnaise monster said and if I don't take my foot off of your money what the hell are you going to do about it you nonky so this little pale faced motherfucker sat there and called me a nonky so I said okay so he just called me a nigga monkey okay alright so I paused for a second. I didn't say a word. I kind of looked back and I just lost it. So what I did was I put my hand around this dude's neck and I said, don't you ever in your motherfucking life ever call me a damn racial slur. I don't care how many times that you see me and you can't stand me. What you not going to do is call me a fucking racial slur like that ever again. Because if not, Make sure your ass goes blue. I was choking the hell out of him. 
Because this motherfucker started turning colors. His face was turning red and all types of shit. And the, the other white kids was sitting there talking about some, dude, you just, he was about to turn blue, dude. It was all, <laughs> it was pretty bad. But anyway, I got pissed and I took that chair, like the dude who was in the chair who, who called me that slur. And he fell to the ground because I had pushed him while he was in his chair to the ground. And I took my money and I went to go sit. Yeah, that dude never messed with me ever again. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that that was my first encounter with having some form of racism when I was like, I think I was like 12 years old when this happened. And I didn't get in trouble for none of that shit, too. So I had other things happen. I've had other kids say that I'm not even black and all this other stuff. Like when I was in middle school, other white kids who were saying stuff like that. So I definitely like experienced it when I was a kid for sure. Number 17 is making a black man a buffoon via Oscar proud, a form of buck breaking. Yes. The quick answer is yes. Black men get it put into a lot of different tropes in order to make them not seem like masculine figures that can be taken seriously. And here are some of the things that I have said before that they typically make them. And this is not in any particular order. These are just things that I see that, that white supremacists typically do to make it seem like there's somebody who won't stand for justice. And that is they make them an idiot. They make them bumbling and stumbling. Sometimes they make them a nerd. Sometimes they change their physical characteristics. Sometimes they make them comic relief. Sometimes they make them effeminate. And sometimes they make them LGBT. And the reason why they do that is because what they try to do in a lot of those instances is they try to attach something else to this character to make it say they won't stand for justice. If they are a nerd, a lot of times they're going to be subservient to whoever is more dominant. And they're going to be more of a sidekick than somebody who's going to typically like stand up as their own standalone person or for themselves. If they are comic relief, they're going to be too silly to be able to be serious. If they're turned into somebody who's not intelligent, they're not going to have the intellect to be able to stand up. If they're effeminate, they're not going to be somebody who's going to be masculine and somebody who's going to be brave and somebody who's going to be bold. They're not, they're not going to be like that. They're going to be somebody who's going to be a little bit more submissive and a little bit more recessive and that's that's okay if you're like that i was just saying that's what they typically do and with the lgbt thing yes you can be a masculine gay so i'm not trying to throw any smoke on lgbt i just want to make that clear however i think that when they make a lot of times like characters who are lgbt they make them performative and then what they try to basically show is that these individuals who are black and lgbt are more focused on their status as somebody who is lgbt than they are about black empowerment so i think that that's the reason why they do that so yes i think it is a form of bug breaking because it's a form of basically taking a person who could be masculine and could be bold and someone who could be about the business and serious and adding something onto them to kind of throw salt in there. So with Oscar Proud, he has a lot of those tools where he could possibly have been a serious masculine character who everybody respects and nobody ends up really having respect for him at the end of the day because his mom always talks trash about him. They made him basically this incompetent character and all this other stuff. So it doesn't really feel like he is a true leader or somebody who can be respected and that's what you do when you bug break somebody you disrespect them and you take their true manhood the masculinity and that kind of presence that they would have and you strip that away from them 
18. What would be your first episode next year? The truth is, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about at the at the beginning of next year. Because there are so many things that I could speak on. So I'm going to say I'm not sure yet, but stay tuned. Because most likely, it's probably just going to be an intro episode to the second season. Number 19. What's a genre of writing that you want to tap into that you haven't yet? I think I kind of want to tap into children's stories a little bit and the reason why i say that is because i look at companies like disney disney they put out all these like little disrespectful narratives and all types of stuff like that and their actual like movies like the little little disney movies and my thought process was why don't i create some kind of like cute stories that little kids can enjoy especially little boys and because if you look at disney there's not one black prince at all And so my thing is like, what if I just made my own books that could later be turned into actual movies? Because I see the things that I create as bigger entities. My thing is this book that I create. So this children's book, this could literally be a cartoon character who children could watch and enjoy watching you kind of like how disney has their cinderellas and their sleeping beauties beauty and the beast like i have my own set of people but i create them by starting it from a children's book number 20 is hollywood threatened by untethered masculinity hell yeah they are ultimately though this is what i'm going to say with that question they show that they're threatened by it by demonizing it in every way that they can. The biggest way that you see it is when you look at, and just speaking from a, a blur and a comic standpoint, look at a lot of these comic TV shows and these movies that you enjoy and that you watch. A lot of times whenever a black male character represents some form of consciousness or some form of standing up for themselves or some form of masculinity, as you kind of alluded to, notice that they either make them a villain, they make them out of touch, they make them angry, or they throw in some other trope to kind of throw salt on the character. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Killmonger, Bushmaster, and Isaiah Bradley all were characters that had some form of black masculinity, but were characters that were either made to be villains or characters that were made to seem out of touch. And then if you look at characters that were heroic and masculine, they always had some trope attached to them too. If you look at the Luke Cage character, what did they do? They had him with Jessica, but that was I know that was already a comic thing. So they put him with a white woman instead of a sister to begin with. So that's the first thing they did. They also made it seem like he was like some type of bum. And then later in the second season, season they made it seem like he was the angry negro when they had him punch a hole through the wall so they kind of took that in a a different direction and then if you look at t'challa i mean they killed him off that's another thing that they do sometimes they kill off characters or they make it seem like that character is not present or the dad is not present that's why they killed like t'challa he's gone and then even in raising dion the daddy was gone as well too daddy wasn't even a bad person he was just gone princess and the frog the dad was gone the dad was dead so that's another thing that they do is like when a character is black and, and, a, and, a, and a man and masculine he is killed off on top of you know also being villainized and also being made to be angry and then even in, this, in the case of Jefferson Pierce, masculine black man, sure. But the issue is, is that he has a woman who is very uh, cantankerous. And she's somebody who is definitely 
hard to get along with and to deal with. And she causes a lot of trouble and frustration for him. She really is, in my opinion, she's kind of a bitch. And she makes Jefferson's like whole life more difficult. So it would be good if they could have somebody who would have been more balanced with him. Like somebody who was like a little bit, it made Lynn more feminine or something. Because that was a way to throw salt on him. Now he can't be this full masculine man he wants to be because he has to deal with this contemptuous woman. So, yeah, I think Hollywood is threatened and they show it. And ultimately, Hollywood is, if I'm being totally honest, it's, it's really like just a, a mask for white supremacy. Because white supremacy is what's really threatened by untethered masculinity from black people. I'll say that. They're worried about black masculinity more than anything. They're not even worried, they're not even worried about white masculinity. They're worried about black masculinity. You know... I want you to consider this concept as well, too. Consider the idea of where the term toxic masculinity came from and just this idea of what was happening there. There were two white men who actually coined the term. One of them's name was Robert J. Stoller, and the other person's name who came up with it was Shepard Bliss. And so... Out of the two people who I just named, one of those two people actually was LGBT, but they both were white. So what's interesting to me about the term toxic masculinity is the fact that two white people, white males, came up with this definition that everybody is following, specifically a lot of women of all races are preaching and going on and on about. So what's interesting to me about that is... Two white men, with one of them being LGBT, came up with this term, and somehow it got co-opted where black males are the face of toxic masculinity. That's ironic to me. And what it kind of reminds me from my perspective, given that one of the white men who's in it is LGBT, is bug breaking. And I'm going to tell you why it reminds me of bug breaking. It reminds me of this idea that you have a white male who is LGBT, and they are trying to buck break a black male. And then you see all the ways that Hollywood, as we were just talking about, tries to portray a black male and tries to break them down so that they are not as masculine. They're not able to stand up to an injustice. So from my perspective, if you make the black male the face of toxic masculinity, then you are demonizing, from my perspective, masculinity from the black male at all so anything so to me i feel like it's a thing of there's no such thing as non-toxic masculinity from the way that it's the way the stories are being told you know from hollywood if you look at it masculinity itself is seen as the thing that's toxic there's not a definite a difference between toxic masculinity and masculinity it's always made or portrayed to be a negative in media especially 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 when it comes to the black male because you barely see masculine traits on black male characters when you are watching media and comic media specifically we're talking about here and cartoons and things like that you barely see that and i think there's a reason for that also consider the idea that toxic femininity was never officially really coined so it's almost as if it was coined with nothing to counterbalance that and it's as if it was coined to target the black man because the black man typically is the person who ends up being the face of that because let's be real 
when it comes to white men and white women, although, you know, you can see the issue of feminism and some of the things that are going on right there, they're not really going as hard against their men as you think that they are. A lot of times we end up basically taking it upon ourselves to pull that into our community when nobody in our community really controls anything. So from my perspective, it ends up becoming a thing where the black man is going to be the main person who's going to take the brunt of this toxic masculinity type of trope that they like to put out there. So just consider all of those different things when we're talking about, you know, Hollywood and when it comes to masculinity. 21. What's your favorite episode you've done? I'm going to be honest with you. My favorite episode was the old niggas episode. Like, can the young black folks trust the old black folks? And the reason why is because that was therapeutic for me. That was some shit that I had been wanting to get off my chest for a long ass time and I finally was able to get it all the way off. And I did it in a way that was also methodical and also very analytical, but at the same time, it was something that just needed to come out. My second favorite probably was the LGBT episode because again, it was something I needed to get off my chest. A lot of times when I do these podcast episodes, y'all got to understand it's very therapeutic for me because I'm able to say things and talk about things that typically I'm not able to really get off my chest in a way and express myself in a way where I could on a regular basis. And so I was able to actually turn it into something that was constructive. And so I would say that like the old niggas one was probably my favorite one because I got to talk about some shit that I think a lot of people have been afraid to really speak up about and for me, I was just waiting for the right moment to just say all the stuff that I knew I believed about it. 22. What's an annoying phrase about black people you are tired of? Example, black don't crack. Man, I'm tired of a lot of damn sayings when it comes to black people. But to answer your question, I think that the saying that I am probably the most tired of at this point, at this point, I don't even know, actually, but I'll tell you some of the ones that I am. I'm tired of the saying that, um, and this is one that recently has been kind of just been a bug in my ass. I don't like the saying black people don't deserve reparations right now because all they're going to do is piss the money away. That shit is kind of grinding my gears right now because I feel like everybody who says that at this point is assuming that the entire black race is going to be lowbrow and or or is stating that they are lowbrow one of the things that I, I i'll give you a more specific quote when it comes to that one quote i keep hearing is all they're going to do is buy jordans why is jordans like the go-to thing that they think we're all going to buy for some reason all of us niggas is just going to walk around and go get some jordans once we get some reparations is that what y'all really think? And we don't even be buying Jordan as much as that you, you guys are saying that we are. The ones of you all who are saying that. So that phrase bothers me. Another thing that I think that black that I'm getting tired of is um, this is not really a phrase. This is just a, a term. I get tired of people continuously saying people of color. I'm really tired of that shit. And I'm tired of that shit because... We're not no damn people of color. We're black people. 
Okay, that's a way. That's a term of benign neglect, and that's a term of erasure. I'm getting tired of hearing that shit, because at the end of the day, if you want to speak about issues that go on with black people, just say black people. If you want to say it, something that's going on with somebody who's Hispanic, just say Hispanic. And ma matter of fact, specify what Hispanic. Are they black Hispanic or are they white Hispanic? See, this is the type of shit that I'm talking about. Be very, very specific about who you are speaking about. So I'm tired of that. Let's retire that people of color shit. If you want to round every up, I guess I would have to ask you the question in what situation would you round everybody up who you would consider a quote unquote person of color? What situation? Because to me, I can't really see one because if you're comparing struggles, the black struggle is worse than any struggle on the planet. So that's why I said from my personal perspective, I can't stand that term. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that I, I really don't like that gets said over and over again, but those are like some of the ones that I'm thinking about right now. Last question here. What doubts did you have, if any, prior to launching this page slash podcast, etc.? That is an excellent question. I love that as a final question. As far as my page, which is the Instagram page, is what this person is talking about. As far as doubts go, I wouldn't say that I necessarily had doubts about the way that my content was perceived, but I had doubts about, like, from my perspective, I, I really have a good niche. Like I, I like I hadn't really nailed what I was going to do that was going to separate me from other people. And so I felt like my page kind of took somewhat of a journey, like a random journey that I didn't really expect it to take. I started off just talking about how I'm a black creator, I'm a black writer, and I am a comic enthusiast and a blurt, and how I want to be able to give other black people a voice to be able to speak up for themselves and whatnot. And I mean, that was cool and all, but I feel like it needed to be kicked up a notch. And I did when I said I have a lot of pro-black values and a lot of things that I believe in this pro-black arena. And what if I combine the two? What if I combine like pro-blackness with, you know, this idea of talking about wanting to be a black creator who gives black people a voice, specifically black men? And that's when I made my page. So I guess like when I first launched this page, I wasn't really sure what direction it was all going to go. I just knew I had a lot of things out there and I wanted to be able to just put them out and get my name out there. Now, the other thing I would say that I had doubts about is I had doubts about putting a lot of the content that I had been creating over some years onto social media because I didn't want to give away all of my juice and somebody go and they stole my content. And I knew that I had a lot of things that I wanted to kind of share with my audience, you know, while building the audience, obviously. So that was like one thing that I would say. Now, as far as like the, the, the podcast, I didn't really have doubts per se, but I guess I saw that, you know, with me talking about a lot of the topics that I was talking about, I knew that it was going to tailor off certain people, like certain people weren't going to really resonate with the stuff that I was going to be talking about on my podcast. Because I mean, I'm very passionate about the stuff that, you know, I, I put out there and I definitely want to get the information out there to people. But my podcast kind of just takes it to another level and really does a deep analysis on a lot of the things that I actually talk about on my Instagram page. So from my perspective, 
I would say that I kind of knew that people, if they listened to my podcast and my page, there would be some people who initially were following me at that stage where I just want to give black people a voice and they hear what I'm doing now and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to follow him because what he's saying is too aggressive, yada, 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 yada. I knew that that was a thing. And by starting a podcast up that this is a possibility. But at the end of the day, I didn't really give a shit. And the reason why is because I'm being true to myself and being true to the things that I believe. And before starting that, I, I thought about that and I said, oh, wow, I'm probably going to lose some people. But what I ended up coming to the conclusion of is, well, that's how it's got to be. I, I'd be able to have an authentic audience when you're doing a business and you're trying to put stuff out there. You want to be able to have something that helps people. And if this thing that I'm creating doesn't serve you, then you probably should unfollow because it really isn't for you, you know? So I guess I didn't really have doubts, but at the same time, I had this feeling that if I do this, if I go down this quote unquote rabbit hole, there's a strong possibility I'm probably going to lose some followers and lose some people who originally were kind of supporting my vision or had a different idea of what my vision was truly about. And that did actually happen to some extent. One of the things that came to mind when I made that transition from doing this Instagram page where I was just talking about giving a voice to other black people to it being this pro-black blur type of thing that I was doing was how am I going to be able to find people who are into the things that I'm into because nobody or not too many I'll say people have combined the world of being pro-black and the world of being a blurred so my thing was like who am I going to be able to have this type of conversation with who am I going to be able to network with that would be interested in the things that I'm actually speaking about in, on this page because I haven't really seen that too much and even if I am able to find a handful of people who can kind to resonate and feel what I'm saying. What is the probability that I will be able to have a big influence from what I am trying to do? Because if I'm sitting and I'm going around making this claim that I'm going to have this gigantic empire, which I will have, it is going to happen. And I am a hundred percent sure of that if I'm going to go make this claim, how am I going to get people who are going to back this type of empire where they have these pro black beliefs but then they also have these in like different nerdy different blurred endeavors and in, into blurred culture because if you look at the scope of a lot of people who are into blurred culture a lot of them are not pro-black and on top of looking at the scope and seeing that a lot of them are not pro-black another thing that you see from a lot of blurs is that they a lot of times are cooning even and my Platform is something that I think could turn a lot of them off because of that. So to sum it all up, the doubts as far as my page, what was the niche that I was actually going to go with when I created this page? And how was I going to organize all of that? And then with the podcast, I didn't really have doubts. I just kind of had this feeling that I know that if I put this stuff out there, there's a possible chance that people are not going to really totally support my vision who may have been supporting it before. And I need to be willing to be okay with that. And I just absolutely was. So I didn't really have doubts with the podcast. Anyway, so that's it, y'all.
This has been an amazing season. I hope that you guys enjoyed everything that I had to say tonight. I hope that you all got your questions answered, and I hope that everything that I said made a lot of sense. So with that, we're going to go ahead and end here. Stay tuned for the next season. It will be coming. I can't tell you when because I don't know when yet, but it will be coming. So, again, stay tuned. I have 49 other episodes other than this one that you can go and you can check out and you can hear everything that I have to say about some very important topics. And until then, you guys stay safe, stay well, and I'll be talking to you in 2023. Have a good night and see you later. Peace.